Today's episode of Onto Waveland is presented by the Salvation Army. Your donations can help those affected by COVID-19 find help and hope. To give, ask your smart speaker to make a donation to the Salvation Army or make your gift at SalvationArmyUSA.org. Hey folks, welcome to On to Waveland. Uh, this is your Chicago Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma, by Patrick Mooney, by our producer Adam. There's a little change in the intro, getting Adam in there. Uh, I, I, I neglect to give love to Adam regularly as we're doing this pod. I think it's because it's like it feels like a, a wall closes off when we're like, okay, we ready to roll? All right, boom, and, and Adam like literally drops off, so it feels like he's not here even though he's listening always um you know looming's the looming specter of our producer adam so uh anyway yeah we're here to talk cubs and baseball uh i wanted to mention here at the top it was funny i I think a lot of folks who uh we're all at home right now we're trying to do our jobs in different circumstances you know depending on what the space and family allows and I just had a an oopsie is uh i was coming so i was uh at, in a different corner of the house coming toward the office to set up shop to record this podcast which we were starting at nine o'clock central and unfortunately one minute earlier than that so i hadn't seen it yet i got a text from my wife who's in it is was out of the room i guess dealing with a very frustrated child basically it was like a half panic text being like okay I need you to help with this because I just can't handle this. Um, And, you know, we've all been there, right? Well, here I come around the corner, like immediately after she sends this text. So she thinks I have seen it and I am the hero riding in to save the day and help. uh, When in fact, I was headed into the office to close the door, shut it off and talk to you guys instead. Uh, So that is all to say uh, when this podcast is finished recording, I'm going to be in a little bit of trouble, and I just wanted to let everyone know that that's how much we care about you listeners, is that um, you know I'm going to suffer the indignities of not having helped in a moment of need with child care. Um, oops. Sorry. Uh, we've all been there, right? Yeah. Thank you. Thank I've... you for your service, Brett. It was, appreciate it. I mean, look, I'm not saying I'm a bigger hero than the troops, but... <laughs> I am a kind of hero. Um, is all I'm saying. Is wow. a kind of hero. No, I. This is stolen valor. <laughs> oh no! Can't. It was. Hey, when I was saying what I was saying, you see, it's like very obvious joke that actually um, girds our support for our troops, which we do uh, very much. Uh, and frontline responders, everyone who's sacrificing at this time in this moment in space, we have nothing but love and respect and support for. And then you had to drop that <laughs> line. Now I'm on a yeah. list somewhere, uh, <laughs> and it, it, they're going to have a printout of my joke, you know, on a sheet, and it will look much worse on a sheet of paper. You see, than when you can hear the intonation in my voice of a joke. 
So thank you, Sahadev, uh, for doing <laughs> that. A big to me. wanted, wanted sign. <laughs> yes, Brett Taylor there. wanted for <laughs> terrible podcasting. So, in any case, my folks and my friends, thank you for listening. You know, I I joke around and all that, but it's, um, I mean, the family will be fine, obviously, and we we do appreciate having this opportunity to like to chat and do this. So I'm, I'm, I was in that respect, very happy to duck into the office and get a chance to do this. <laughs> so uh, we wanted to talk today about a great piece uh, that Sahadev just put up at The Athletic. You know, I really appreciate, by the way, you know, when we're doing these podcasts at a time where there aren't the live sports, um, just like writers, like we, just like we do in our writing experience, we got to kind of like use, you know, th- God, I almost said think outside the box. And that would have been humiliating to use that uh, unbelievably overplayed expression. But we we do have to think a little differently about, okay, how are we going to approach writing and how are we going to approach our podcasting? And so I want to say, you know, I feel like you guys have, have, have really carried the load on the podcast in that respect because you've put together some great pieces at The Athletic, which people can, of course, read and enjoy, and they should. But also, I feel like it does a lot of the work for me because then I can be like, ah, we can just talk about that article. Ba-blam! Um, which it ends up, truly, genuinely, it ends up being like a nice companion piece, I think, to the article because um, there's never, you never say everything that you want to say in something that you write. And there's always the conversations that you can have around it. And so, I, you know, I thought what you wrote is going to provide a really fun opportunity for that. So thank you. And I'll kick it over to you to kind of intro what you wrote about, and then we'll we'll start going from there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a very simple concept of, uh, you know, it was one of uh, one of the pieces that uh, we kind of have ideas floating around the company, and, and immediately, you know, the most uh, I, I can't remember how it was worded, but I uh, I worded it a specific way because I. I started sending texts to people that had that work for the Cubs or have worked for the Cubs during this era of, uh, you know, Cubs resurgence, whatever you want to call this era of Cubs baseball. And uh, basically asked what's the most seminal moment of the last 20 years, knowing that they're not going to pick the, you know, it's going to be something in the past 10 years, those previous 10 years. I mean, if someone's saying the seminal moment was, you know, the signing of Alfonso Soriano, uh, I'd be a little surprised, right? I mean, obviously led to a couple good years, but but that that's not what transformed this uh, franchise and organization into these high expectations that they have. Uh, what I, you know, this was, I started this project almost immediately after baseball got shut down. So it was one of those things where I didn't know how to do my job really anymore. It was in the, I was in a phase where I'm like, oh no, I don't know how to do this Uh does anybody want to talk to me right now because we all have bigger priorities than baseball uh what i found was majority of the people wanted to do anything they could to talk about baseball obviously the people like theo epstein are very busy right now or especially initially he was very busy and trying to take care of the uh his uh, employees and making sure everything was okay but so many people are just sitting around uh you know helping their kids, helping uh, their significant others, whatever it is, trying to get through the day bored out of their minds. uh, And they wanted to engage in this. And I got a ton of responses. Um, And the funny thing is I have a few that, and I'm sure we're conditioned to think of a a few and, and they're, 
the one that I heard the most. I mean, citing John Wait, Lester. So, sorry. Go. Hang on. No, no, go on. Did I, did I, I may have like totally spaced because you were, I, I got very like into what you were saying, but did you say specifically what the topic of the article was? Like when you say things, I want to make, I, I may have missed, you may have like perfectly elucidated yeah, no, on what it was, but. Yeah, I well, I told them that I what's the most I asked them what the most seminal moment of the past 20 years for the Cubs was. That's all I I, I guess I was sorry. I was waiting for the word seminal because uh, it feels like just spot on for what this is. And I I mean, maybe you said it and I just didn't hear it. Sorry. <laughs> it's he all did right. say seminal. Oh, he did say Jeez. seminal? Yes, oh, way, to, way to not listen, Brett. God, sorry. <laughs> sorry. My boss. Uh, I mean, so the one that I like just gravitate towards is always John Lester, signing John Lester. Uh, it's it, For me, it seems obvious. Uh, Patrick was there when they signed him, you know, when, when the Cubs signed him in San Diego. I was there at that winter we- meetings. Everyone that was there saw how the Cubs front office reacted. They all came down uh, to the lobby. They all had drinks. They were clearly celebrating the fact that this was a huge moment for the organization. They knew it at the time. They weren't celebrating a World Series win. They were celebrating a free agent signing. You don't see that a lot. I, I've thought, I thought back on that, and I'm trying to think of when I've seen that after during the winter meetings. I, I don't recall that. Almost the entire front office that was at the, at the winter meetings came down to the bar and celebrated. They knew it was a huge moment. It was what it was a moment they had been pointing to for years. We, we knew they were building up to that moment. So it felt obvious to me. I felt maybe like I wasn't going to get a lot of different responses. Obviously, that was high up there, but I got so many different responses. Uh and, and the point of my piece ended up being that the other response I got so much was hiring Theo Epstein. And it made me think these two moments are interconnected. You cannot talk about one without the other. You can't if you're going to say, well, great job by Theo. He nailed that signing. Well, he knew John Lester so well. Lester had to be willing to take that leap, that trust factor coming to a losing team. All these things are interconnected between Theo and and Lester, their success on the north side is really connected and, I, and that's kind of what the piece was about for me what was most interesting was the variety of responses i didn't even include all the responses that i got in there i tried to sprinkle them in throughout the piece uh one that i didn't one i'll tell you two things one that i was surprised i didn't hear at all uh and it's it's very interesting because he's considered he has been considered the leader and he is kind of the leader in that clubhouse right now is the acquisition of anthony rizzo Nobody mentioned that, and this is a guy that's probably the most consistent offensive player on the of the group, uh, and and the uh, what many consider to be the the clubhouse leader. But one person did mention Rizzo challenging the entire Reds team to a fight yeah. back in, I believe that was 2014, <laughs> right? It, uh, it was. Yeah. So it, so Rizzo was mentioned, but that was something that was mentioned. I, I thought it was fascinating the different things. The one that I'd completely forgotten about and I completely agree with is the 2015 sweep of the Giants in, I believe it was August. I wrote this. I just it, wrote it. It so was I remember. August. It was, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it, I, I, those that one for me, like it 
the memories came flooding back immediately and I started remembering, oh my God, that was huge. I suddenly remembered it. It wasn't one that came off off the top of my mind. The second it was mentioned, I was like, yep, I will never forget all of it. That, that entire series, just the feeling and suddenly it was like, oh wait, this is real. The Cubs are coming and and this isn't just a, you know, a false start. They're, they're really pushing forward and something special is happening here and Madden is going to change the way this team is looked at because of the way he's managing now there's no more no more mr nice guy almost it was just like we're here to win and we're here to win championships and this is how it gets done you can't worry about jason hamill's feelings uh you have to stick it to this team that's you know won three of the last five championships it was i i just remember mentally how impactful that series was yeah i think a couple weeks later you would have had madden's uh Tony Soprano rant against the Cardinals way uh, as well. And when you start stacking all of these responses on top of one another, it's crazy, you know, how much we've seen here over the last uh, several years. I also like the suggestion of uh, the best move was the one they didn't make, not trading Javier Baez for someone like Tyson Ross or one of the Indians uh, kind of, young pitchers that was a big thing in 2015 of you know they they need a need a starter they have too many shortstops blah 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 and obviously he became uh this transcend transcendent uh player but i do think symbolically when we're talking about this i think it's it's really hard to not put lester uh, at the top of this list and that's even with you know the an arietta strobe trade that's might be the best in franchise history when you're talking about how little they gave up, uh, how great Jake Arrieta was at the most, you know, important moments and how good Pedro Strope was for so long. I mean, you're talking about one of the best um, relievers in franchise history uh, on top of a Cy Young Award winner. And you're essentially giving up what a dozen starts of Scott Feldman and uh, you know, the final months of Steve Clevenger uh career before uh he uh, embarrassed himself and was uh essentially uh pushed out of the game for good reasons and so um you know you i think sometimes there's recency bias that we kind of overestimate uh what has happened uh in the last couple of years and maybe overlook history but i think at a time like this when we uh, are allowed the chance to step back it, it really is staggering uh to see all of these moves the cubs have made and you know uh how far into the future people are going to be you know talking about them yeah i think that uh it's not it's not unreasonable that um you if you try to think about okay what are the seminal moments in the last 20 years of the chicago cubs that you'll there's this um confluence of that recency bias with the fact that the last five years have been, you know, inordinately successful and and like compelling, I guess I would say, you know, from the narrative side of things, that that's where so much of the focus would be. Um, you know, for the sake of conversation, I kind of want to throw back to some things that predate that era, just because I think that they're interesting and also because they in different ways set up what was to come. I, I know that um, obviously one of the big ones mentioned, uh, and I'll pass upon it only briefly, was the original hiring of Theo Epstein that um, 
you know, again, we think of it, we associate it with this era, but now we're talking about it being almost a decade ago. And at the time, I really think it's hard to, if you don't emphasize it, you know, if you put yourself, it's hard to remember just how crazy that was, that that was actually going to happen because you had decades, um, you know, fans like me that followed the team closely, maybe in the 80s, some 90s, 2000s, um, the idea that the organization would uh, be able to entice one of the most successful, most forward-thinking, most visibly um, important executives in the game to come run this organization, it was, it. you know, I remember back, I thought, well, no. I mean, when I was putting together, I remember because I, I, I started doing Bleach Nation full time that summer of 2011. Um, and I was sort of obsessively following this front office search. Uh, you know, Theo Epstein was not on my radar whatsoever. And maybe I could defend myself by saying that until that Boston Red Sox collapsed there at the end of 2011, maybe he wouldn't have really been on too many people's radar. But I know that some of those, the could we do it? conversations uh, with the Ricketts and um, Pat Gillick, I believe, was helping advise that process. Um, those conversations started long before the fall, and it was really shocking to learn. Um, you know, I like the Starbucks, the purple shirt, you know, mentioned in the article, Sadev, because it was like, holy shit, is this actually a real thing? And um, obviously knowing what came thereafter, it, it's pretty hard not to point to that as just such a a title shift in the organization, but everybody knows that that's not as interesting for conversation. So I, I want to point to a couple other things that I think people may not associate with um, this. I don't know where we are now and what's like the seminal moment of the, of what has happened to the Cubs in the last 20 years. I feel like it's hard not to mention Sammy Sosa. Even if we go back only 20 years, you're talking about 2000, you're talking about two years after the home run race with Mark McGuire in 1998, even by 2000, the public sentiment about what it was to be a superstar in baseball had not quite evaporated around the big sluggers. Um, I really think you saw that happening in 2001 as Barry Bonds um, just went so completely off um, and taking down um, Mark McGuire's record, the conversation kind of really came, became more about retconning what 1998 was in relation to the Hank Aaron record um, that I still feel like it fits into this 20-year window that it impacted so much of how Cubs fans think about the legacy of Sammy Sosa, think about their developing fandom in the 90s, that it, um, may, I feel like it made a lot of fans uh, reluctant and sensitive to buying wholly in to, um, I don't know, allow, like not to be too melodramatic, but like allowing their hearts to be so consumed by this baseball team that they had been, you know, married to for a long time as these lovable losers. And when you pair that with what happened in, 20, in 2003, um, I think there was a lot of damage there to fans uh, getting so close with on the back of this like magical and interesting team in 2003 um, to have what happened there followed by what happened in 2004 an even better team 
uh, collapsing down the stretch. And then, of course, when they finally open up the checkbooks and spend in 2007 and 2008 to have both of those teams, uh, again, you had a better team in 2008 coming on the back of a team that was swept in 2007 out of the playoffs, and 2008's team ends up the same way. I just I think back to it, starting with Sammy Sosa and the disillusionment of fans, um, and then to be so damaged uh, for the next 10 years, it's hard not to pair that as a, a critical part of what made the turn to Theo Epstein and the buying into the rebuild as a seminal moment. Because without that damage that came before it, I just don't think we see what happened as as compelling. Like, set aside that they won the World Series, obviously, that we know that that happened. But, like, we already saw back in 2011 what a major turn it was. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. I joked uh, about the signing of Alfonso Soriano, but suddenly two things kind of occur to me. First of all, that was their first big-time contract, right? Uh, so I shouldn't just dismiss it as not being a big moment because that was – sure, it was before the Theo Epstein era. It was before the Cubs uh, – like that. I think that era of Cubs baseball is kind of overlooked in that uh, they they won a lot. They won they, – they made it to the playoffs two years in a row, which didn't happen for the Cubs. They also established themselves as willing to spend big money. Yeah, there were reasons we can we could we could flush through all the reasons why that is, but they they were establishing themselves as being willing to pay for the big market free agents, and that happened before even Epstein arrived. I have to share this story because it suddenly came back to me. I was thinking about moments and big moments, and uh, I was just breaking into this business. I was an intern at ESPN 1000. And uh, I've, I've told this on the podcast before about how Bruce Levine's kind of my mentor. And he was the first person to bring me into a clubhouse. And, and without him, I would have never got my break. At this point in time, it's late 2006. The Cubs, we don't really know what their plans are for the offseason. And their managerial search was down to Joe Girardi and Lou Pinella. Uh, Bruce Levine broke stories like crazy back then. And he calls into the studio to let uh, to let us know that the Cubs have hired Lou Pinella, and I'm I'm just an intern. He barely knows who I am. Uh, he he knows I at the time I was a Cubs fan. So he <laughs> I'm taking and bringing in sound that he's he's collected, talking to him over the mic. Uh, okay, Bruce. So you got news? Blah blah. Here and he and he break he puts it on like records it for me, and then he starts talking to me. Hey, so you're you're a Cubs fan? Are you excited by this? I'm like. Uh, I I kind of I, I kind of wanted them to hire Joe Girardi, and he's like, "Yeah, well, what do you know?" <laughs> then he just hangs up. <laughs> it just it just came back to me, and I just couldn't. I had to share that because it's such a great, such a like encapsulate encapsulates uh, encapsulates Bruce so well because that's. That's exactly how he was, and uh, how he how I got treated back then, and uh, which I loved. I mean, it was I, I used to give it. I, I learned to give it right back to him over the years. But that was one of my first introductions to Bruce Levine, and uh, and hearing that the Cubs were were hiring Lou Pinella. and it, it you know I, I feel like once once the rest of that offseason unfolded, the Lupinella hire made sense. Uh, because you have to remember, we look at Joe Girardi very differently, you know, whatever, 12 years later, 14 years later than we did back then, because he was still a one-year manager back then, which is so odd to think how much time has passed. But yeah, uh, just a, just another 
just another moment of Bruce Levine taking me down a peg. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it's obviously not the seminal moment, um, but I think when we're looking back at this time frame, you know, you'd have to point out uh, the sale from uh, Tribune Company to the Ricketts family, who've had uh, kind of an uneven track record, you know, extreme highs and extreme lows. But in terms of how Cubs fans are kind of consuming and experiencing the team and Wrigley Field, I think, you know, their legacy, uh, while still well not completely written uh certainly has had kind of enormous consequences i mean maybe wgn was always going to kind of uh unwind as a superstation and kind of move away from sports programming but that um is a huge you know wgn was a huge reason for why you know there were kind of cubs fans all across the country and that kind of you know came to and end during this time. Um, while I never thought they would leave Wrigley Field, uh, I think moving from Clark and Addison might have been, you know, one of the dumbest uh, economic decisions in baseball history. Uh, they decided to stay there and uh, certainly, you know, invest in it. And you know, Wrigley Field over the last not even 20 years over the last whatever five years, you know, looks and feels uh, completely different. And that, you know, kind of starts uh, at ownership as well as, um, you know, Tom Ricketts you know, went after Theo Epstein for the, the home run hire and he was able to uh, close the deal. So I think that's something that, you know, it's still too soon if this is an ownership group that plans to own the team for generations to make any sort of, you know, kind of snap, judgments and i think you know they're continuing to kind of learn on the job and who knows what the world will look like uh after this uh pandemic passes uh but certainly you know their fingerprints are, are all over uh these last you know 10 years or so let me throw out one more that um is not i think the fruits of it are not necessarily on the level of what we're talking about in these seminal moments uh but they are actually extraordinarily important. Not convinced, for example, that the World Series happens without this moment. And it is uh, it fits in this conversation because you can boil it down to like one literal maybe five-minute moment that happened um, that is just fun to remember. And then it has the butterfly wings that extend from it. And it is the moment that Ryan Dempster said he would not trade to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I think that most fans famously remember the, you know, we were following that very closely, the, the they don't did a trade um, situation. And Dempster <laughs> at that, um, <laughs> that particular trade deadline was holding out hopes uh, for a deal to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I think he was pretty open about that. He'd earned those rights. Those weren't, it wasn't uh, contractual rights it was this 10-5 service rights i believe um i think and, it wasn't wasn't alan webster supposed to be one of the rumored uh, keys it, to it, a potential deal well yeah. so i i remember it uh you know <laughs> that's my time to shine in the summer like we talked about in the last <laughs> pod the trade deadline stuff uh i am i am basically you know kissing my screen not because i'm loving what's happening but because i'm so bored uh, you know, boring my brain into it. And I remember that, uh, yes, Alan Webster was a huge, 
uh, hanging point in those talks because the Cubs very much wanted him and the Dodgers were very reluctant to give up on him. Uh, at that time, uh, he was, you know, really big time prospect with that heavy sinker that we would only come to see as Cubs fans much later when he was a very different uh, pitcher trying to get back on track. Um, but yeah, the Dodgers were unwilling. And even that has some butterfly wings, right? Because he ended up being part of the deal that sent um, what it was that huge August trade the, the next Adrian year. Gonzalez. Yeah, Adrian Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, Carl Crawford was involved, right? Went out to L.A. Beckett, uh, yeah. Huge yeah. deal. So, anyway, I just I always like to mention that one because it it would have been, you know, of course, obviously, Ryan Dempster ultimately then at the last moment accepted a trade to the Rangers uh, who included Christian Villanueva and a pitching prospect that not a lot of folks were talking about at the time, Kyle Hendricks, who flourished in the Cubs system and became, of course, a critical homegrown I give him the homegrown label. Um, you know, he spent well, he spent less than a season in the Rangers organization. I'm, I'm going to tangent for a moment. It drives me crazy. <laughs> that's fair. When people yeah, that's talk about point. the homegrown stuff, it's like he was in the Cubs system for his like entire career. Uh, but anyway, uh, he obviously became a critical part. You know, pitching arguably the best game at Wrigley Field in in the team's history. Um, to clinch the NLCS in, in 2016 and then starting game seven of the World Series. I mean, my God, that's that's a pretty important piece and you can really <laughs> trace it back to uh, just that, that one moment. So thanks, thanks Ryan Dempster. You did good. <laughs> uh, I, I One thing I keep thinking about right now is I feel like we're in the midst of, you know, we're in like a three-year area where that next big moment either just happened or is about to happen that 10 years from now we'd be talking about well this was the moment that set up the next decade either for success or things just didn't go right after that great core that won a world series for the cubs uh whether it's revamping uh, you know player development whether it's a draft pick that happens this summer or a trade that happens next winter uh whatever it is i feel like we're 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 watching the keys to the next generation of Cubs happen right now, and uh, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, there's a few that pop into my mind right now, but I think it it probably hasn't happened. Right? Is it the hiring of David Ross, or is it the eventual signing or trade of someone big coming up in the next? You know, obviously there's a lot up in the air, but I, I'm just there's it, there's that feeling that that next big moment is is somewhere around us. Well, and don't don't gloss over the it's, it's all up in the air part, right? Because this pandemic and its impact yeah. on not only the 2020 season, but on the you know it's it, it's you can't overstate the impact that this could have on the makeup of the entirety of Major League Baseball and as teams you know reconsider their rosters and their finances and all that stuff. That I do think for a lot of teams, it's going to be very easy to look back in 10 years and say, boy. When the pandemic happened that, you know, there was this titanic shift in the organization because of X, Y and Z. I just wanted to follow up on Brett's kind of, you know, sliding doors idea of just three kind of honorable mentions of things that just to show how much has happened. Um, three off the top of my head, uh, Wilson Contreras being a. Uh, left exposed in the rule five draft and no one picking him up. The Cubs had no idea 
you know, how good he would be or how fast, you know, he would kind of rocket through the, the farm system. Uh, 2016 World Series run, Javi's basket shot home run. You know, if that <laughs> doesn't go in there, I'm really curious how the rest of that series against the Giants uh, would have gone and how long that Cubs playoff run would have last lasted. And I know this is kind of, uh, I'm sure some people feel that it's kind of overblown. Um, but in terms of like, a moment like a before and after just uh jason hayward's uh rain delay speech that uh even if we roll our our eyes at it i mean there are people who were in that weight room uh who were totally transfixed and felt like it kind of refocused uh the cubs not on what had just happened or the opportunity that was slipping away but the opportunity that was uh still in front of them yeah, Napoli was on uh, Hap's podcast, Ian Hap's podcast, and said he firmly believes – he didn't directly say the speech because he wasn't there, but he said he and many of his Cleveland teammates at the time firmly believe without that rain delay, Cleveland wins the game. Cleveland wins the World Series. They believe yeah. that, uh, you know, obviously uh, there are many factors with that rain delay, but I just found that interesting. That's a good a good one to leave it on, That the rain delay. I mean, obviously – there's you can wax um poetic about jason hayward's speech and his involvement in that and um but really it's you know he doesn't even get a chance to say what he said if the rains don't fall at that moment with the cubs having barely gotten through the ninth inning um with Aroldis chapman just throwing meatball after meatball and um <laughs> you know then the rains they just it was it was necessary um Man, what a fun conversation for a podcast. This is one of those that you could just, you know, have <laughs> sitting on the bar stools uh, with your friends um, at any time. And so, you know, perfect, perfect for this this period of time. And so, again, that's why I wanted to say thanks to Sahadev for writing that piece. Make sure you check it out uh, at The Athletic. Check out the great stuff that Patrick does as well. You can find my stuff at BleacherNation.com. And, you know, we look forward to these times to get to spend with you folks to uh, periodically shoot the breeze over uh, what has happened in the Cubs world the last 20 years. Maybe next episode we'll get into the 20 years before that, which, you know, I've got some real intimate and personal memories of, you know, the like the big moments from the 1960 Cubs. I got to do some research. Uh, So, look, um, this is fun. We love you guys. Keep staying safe out there, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. 